You're listening to Gifted with Sheila White, a podcast that will inspire you. Its purpose is to uplift and entertain creatives to pursue their passions through their gifts. Sheila White is a film and television producer, author, and entrepreneur. And in each episode, Sheila talks with gifted individuals about their journey and the lessons they've learned. It will also inspire you to make an impact, living your best purpose-driven life with clarity. And now, here's your host, Sheila White. Hello and welcome to another episode where we talk to individuals using their talents and their gifts to impact the world. I'm excited today for my guest that I have with me, Mr. David Watts, who started at age 19 as a producer, as a photographer and a videographer. He completed his doctoral studies in 2002 in former athletics, and the, which is a study of nonverbal communication and paralogistics. Okay, as a universal language, which is the role culture plays in interpretation with various cultural ethnic groups. David ventured into medicine as an EMT and a paramedic, which led him to find his niche in the animal industry. We're going to talk about that, folks, in a little bit. Um, So he works as an animal medical emergency response system in California, which was years ago. He has worked with A-list celebrities. He's worked with well-known athletes and in media, which led him and his wife to form the company On Stage Plus. Y'all better recognize On Stage Plus, which is a positive network for people of color in television and media. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you so much, Sheila. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, first of all, we got to get into this doctoral studies here. I mean, it's like, oh, my goodness, Dr. David in the house today. Nonverbal communication with various ethnic groups kind of explain a little bit about the the paralogistics. I cannot even say it. You know what I'm saying? And the, and the, what is it? The formal and how do you say that? How do you pronounce that? Formal aesthetics and it's paralinguistics. And basically, okay. 90 percent of what we say is nonverbal. You wow. know, so you think of how much we're communicating. But you've ever seen people that talk with their hands and things like that. And. The thing that would really interested me is the fact that you nonverbal communication crosses so many different cultural um, boundaries. Mm. It crosses different socioeconomic boundaries. And it's really a true form of communication because you can't hide it. Mm. You know, and there's been different studies where people are asked questions, you know, and they do case studies on Bill Clinton when he was being um, he was being questioned about Monica Lewinsky. Yes. Um, O.J. Simpson was being questioned about um, that incident yes if the glove fits you must quit. <laughs> yes yes and other you know, celebrities fit. when they're having issues you can look and they may say one thing but their body is totally telling the truth and oh. i thought about that and you've ever seen a movie and you go wow that movie was that actor was really powerful was really resonating because yeah. they're able to really embody that mm. that um, role yeah. and what they're saying as far as the script is also matching their body um, mm. verbal communication and that's why you get these actors that some will get Oscars because it's really great and some that are really good but won't get recognized or won't really be as believable because of nonverbal communication and that actually goes into why we got into uh, television and entertainment industry because I say well with this background there was really kind of two things I can do. One, I can do risk management for mm. companies that are looking for people that have, you know, stolen or embezzled things, or I can work mm. for law enforcement. And most of that means putting black and brown people behind bars because I'm looking at the other side where they're being interviewed saying, he's saying this, but ask this line of questioning because he looked, you know, and I'm like, is that really the best use of this, of this, this skill? Wow. wow. So I said, oh, it's better to use it in the entertainment industry. And that's what my wife and I, created on stage plus wow you know it's so interesting because you are so right there are people say things and they their eyes are doing shifting and and their hands are doing certain things they may break out in a cold sweat when they're being questioned on stand there's a lot of things going on they're tapping their feet or just a lot of action going on that nonverbal communication and it's interesting because we think about babies coming into the world They have a way of communicating and they don't have language. But if you put them to any environment, whether it's Spanish or Asian or African-American, they'll learn any language that you put them in when it comes to verbally. But their cues that they will give you is really interesting. And I think it's even known in the animal kingdom when you're seeing animals do certain things. You may see two deers 
head button. You know, they're kind of practicing their their fighting style or kicking with their legs. They're not making a sound, but they're doing a nonverbal type of a uh, of, of movement. And so that is really interesting as you say that, because as you do watch on television, there's a lot of things happening. You know, by you being in media, if the if the room is slimly, you know, kind of dimly lit and the lady's looking out the window and then all of a sudden you see somebody coming up behind her and you're watching her expressions as she sees or feels someone coming up behind her. You know, it's like that nonverbal. What, what's what's going to happen? What is he going to do? So it's really something to pay attention to a nonverbal communication. And, and it's interesting to know that there are people that study that, you know, that type of thing. And people actually get awards. You're right. Get Oscars, Grammys, the whole nine, you know, Golden Globes for this non-communication in um, entertainment. So very, very interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought that up. Now, let's look at Western medicine, you know, which is totally a different thing. Alternative medicine, because you, Dr. David, have a background <laughs> and, and you're around lots of nurses in your family and, and doctors and things. So biology is of interest to you. <laughs> Well, so you know, my, my, my doctorate, of course, is in uh, PhD, not in MD. Okay, so when okay. I look at it as the standpoint of when I first got started, my goal was to go and become an emergency room physician. Mm. We have seven MDs in our family and 11 RNs. So that was going to okay. be my that was gonna be my path. But of course, God had other plans. Right, right, <laughs> right. I want to make God laugh, just make plans, right? So <laughs> I went to MC school. I went to paramedic school and I was going yeah. to fast track. Okay, I'm used to emergency medicine. It's what I want to do. But, you know, and we'll talk about, you mentioned our animal ambulance company. Yeah, yeah. It was an offshoot of that. But it's one of those things where when I was working as an um, ER taking paramedic, I would come home and I would take off my shoes in the garage my clothes and everything because I didn't want to cross contaminate. We, yeah. my wife and I, we had newborns. We had you yeah. know small children. Oh, and, you know when it was really really hit me, especially when I would get a call for I got one call in particular. I still remember to this day was this baby was choking, oh. and we pulled up. This is where I was working in uh, Buffalo, New York, and we pulled up, and the guy comes out. And this guy must have been a bodybuilder. He was probably around you know, 200, 300 pounds, I mean, muscle all over the place. Wow. But as powerful as he was, he was defenseless. Oh, and my. It was a black man. He comes out, and he's crying. He's like, oh, she's not breathing. So we got out there. You know, I went and get airway, and I got, and she, I guess they had, you know, once again, this is one of the things they have given her, like, a little bit of um, food. She got something. It was caught in the airway. I managed to get it out. Mm-hmm. She started pinking up, and just the tears running down his face. But of all the stuff he could do, in that moment, he could do nothing. And I thought about that and I was like, these calls with children, you know, I was like, mm-hmm. I got kids. I can't do this. So that was something where I think God was already shifting. But it's funny because everything that you've learned is preparing you for where you're going to go next. Yes. I yes. didn't understand that even though I wasn't going to work once we, I'd made that transition to another field of study that. Even that being able to work under pressure, even being able to talk to people and work in different situations, it was because of what I had done in that that field Area. of study. Yeah. That yeah. Me for this. So mm. people are like, yo, there's deadlines, you gotta do this. So I'm just like, calm down. Mm. We always do it again. Ain't nobody mm. dying. So wow. when you look wow. at it in that context, this is easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting because, you know, working as an EMT. Um, and a paramedic and things like that, that, you don't know life and death is almost in your hands at any time because things could get to such an exasperated point to you can't do anything, even as you're on your way to the house, but you're doing everything. But sometimes things just happen. Um, what, as you said, what kept you going through those days as an EMT and a paramedic working with children? Because that's like a high stress situation. <laughs> I mean, that's that's like. Only the strong survive working in those fields because you got to care about all kinds of people, whether they're homeless and they have to be in the ambulance, whether they're, you know, clothed or unclothed or there's a there's domestic situation. Like you said, children, what kept you together doing that? I often wonder about people that are in those high stress situations, because when you look at the families of the people and they're bringing them to the ambulance or whatever, they're a wreck. Like you said, they are a wreck and they are defenseless. They can't do anything. They're looking to you to really perform a miracle on the spot, even sometimes. How did you keep it together during those years? Well, a lot of people, I'm sure, and if you're watching this, we're in the field, you go, you do what's called compartmentalization. You compartmentalize, you go, this mm-hmm. is this, this is work, 
and this is my box. I get into my box during a certain time, and I get out, and you try and leave it behind. You don't take it with you. Um, that's what you hear about, you know, like, for example, psychologists have a really high rate of suicide because they take those things, and they're always trying to formulate a plan for their patients. So even though they're done with the session, they're taking that back. Wow. Us, it's like, okay, the ambulance is there. I'm not taking it home with me. That that happened there, but but this here, but it does give you a new appreciation. Mm. But in my case, I was even though we're all human, so we, mm. even though you try to compartmentalize, you say, okay, that's there. I'm going to shift over here. Mm -hmm. Being human, you still think about, you know, you're doing this, and you go, make sure I cut up the hot dogs so they're slender, so they're not this because that child I remember had a blockage when they were making this, and and then oh my god, watch this because I remember that child or or that person, and so you sometimes. Start yeah. to get a little bit uh, paranoid. You got to say, okay, yes, right. yes, yes. That yes. happened, but it doesn't. And then, of course, I look at it too that, you know, of course, there's grace. God protects us all. Yes, yes. And so it's one of the things that don't think just because this happened that God isn't going to put a hedge of protection around your family and protect mm -hmm. you. Stop mm -hmm. thinking that everything that's happened here is mm -hmm. going to happen to you and kind of, you know, encompassing that. So you try mm -hmm. to compartmentalize as much as possible. That's interesting because, you know, people have pets as well. And as, as we go into talking about humans is one thing, but then you you actually turned your business into saying, hey, there's a need here for emergency response for animals specifically. Now, how different is that? I mean, people are still nervous wrecks when they see their little Maltese come out and it's not breathing or it's choking on something or the little Shih Tzu is kind of like, you know, just limp and they're wanting help. How did you, I know that you said you found the need for that, but how different was that working with the animals? Because people that are animal lovers, those are our fur babies. You know what I'm saying? We're like grandparents to these animals when our kids have them. So how different was it as an emergency response person for, for pets and animals? So when I came back from New York to California, I worked as, as an ER tech. And then once I started got out of that, I was like, you know, what do I do next? And mm -hmm. It was one of those things where I looked at it and I said, there might be a need. I remember telling my wife, she had her 401k and I said, hey, we should do this because it's not a pen ambulance. And I've always, God has given me, mm. you know, sometimes, you know, I was like, okay, God, God is funny. He'll give me these ideas. And she literally, <laughs> my wife has a spreadsheet. She's like, hold on, put in the spreadsheet. And as we finish this, then we can look at your ideas and see what's, you know. So I was like, this is a great need. And we had a friend whose dog had actually got she actually had the dog mm. and she had the dog from her husband who had passed away and this was like the gift she had from him they would go every mm. saturday to the park walking and one saturday she's walking the dog and the dog just kind of laid down and she's like come on girl we gotta go come on yeah. and she realized she was not breathing oh my and what everybody would do she panicked she picked up her phone and she called 911 911 the ambulance gets there and they're like this Man, is a dog. We can't do it. There's OSHA regulations. We can't put this dog. Oh, but now keep in mind, had that been a canine police dog, OSHA, those dogs are allowed to be transported. Okay. That's interesting. That's because interesting. those are technically considered law enforcement. Law enforcement. That's interesting. So they really said they're so sorry. They can't do anything. And she had to basically watch her dog die there. And I thought, oh, oh wow. But, you know, there's another thing. So we actually got with a friend. Um, and this is weird. My ex-girlfriend yeah, ex yeah. loaned me the first starter money, but okay. she wouldn't do it until she talked to my wife. She wow. said, you have a lot of ideas, but if your wife says a good idea, and I know she's got a level head for numbers, then I'll <laughs> give you the money. <laughs> so yeah, so that's how I got my first seed money. Wow. And I went, we got the ambulance, and I tell you, Chilla, there's so, there's, wow. my wife says we should actually, I should write a book called Animal Medics. Wow. Wow. From literally, I went to, Aryan Nation skinhead compounds where they're on this like this fence. This is up near the, the border of California. Yeah. We're on this fence with like, I'm like, how do we have guns here? Went in there, me and this other guy. And the other guy was like, he was Jewish. He was like, you think they're going to know I'm Jewish? I'm like, at least you can hide. Yes, yes, so, yes. So we go in there, but their dog was being taken to UC Davis. It was uh, two I think, Rottweilers. Wow. And everything, and I'm like in here, but at that point, it didn't matter our ethnicity, didn't matter our religious. They just wanted, are you going to take care of our dogs? And I'm like, I don't care about your political things. I'm here for them. We go, wow. everything's going to be fine. And we transferred them to UC Davis for some surgery. 
But I've done that. We've worked in situations to where we have literally in the morning been in, mm. we were in a judge's house in a really exclusive area in mm. California. And he was talking about this case he had coming up. And then we were in the afternoon in a crack house getting a pit bull that was suffering from parvo. And it turns out it was the same guy the judge was talking about. So we had been in the judge's house in the morning and the crack deal in the afternoon. And the tech that was with me was like, he's talking about, I was like, that's it. Well, they signed yeah. an NDA, right? Like, yeah. uh-uh, but these worlds, you never, we cross all different ethnic boundaries. And there's just so many. And my daughter runs mm-hmm. the company now, mm-hmm. Animal Medics. But mm-hmm. it's so, so poignant that yeah. there's so yeah. many stories. One lady who was blind, whose dog passed away. Oh. She didn't know he had passed away. Oh, my. In here and she got, she said, he hasn't been moving. And so she's shaking the leash. She's going, come on, come on, Oscar, come on. And the tech is like, like you tell her, so I'm like, oh, like, why are you guys quiet? And I'm like, she's like, because sometimes I see him, I don't know what I'll do. So we had to get, um, we had to get adult services there. Yeah, because she was like, yeah. if he dies, I don't want to live. Oh, great, oh, now you, you just told us something. So mm. we had to get adult services. It was, it was a, a big thing, all because he was literally on the blanket with her. He was still warm. She's like, I know he's not. He's still warm because you got a heated blanket. Yes, he's still oh, warm. My God. So little stories like that, and there's so many others. We got to one, the guy was having a heart attack. Mm. Literally, he's having chest pain. We got there, and the ambulance is there, and the guy was like, if he calls again, we're not coming back. And I was like, what? He said, this is the second time. He won't leave without his dog. We get there. His dog was having and the lady took a picture. I wish I had the picture. Yeah. We, we were taking the dog out on the gurney, on oxygen, and he was on oxygen on the gurney, going to the human ambulance, and he's holding the dog's paw. I kid you not. And one of the neighbors took a picture, and I was so busy yeah. i didn't think you send me that picture because i just look back on it and i'm like you can't buy advertising like that that is wow you know it's amazing but yeah i've seen me. pictures of, of people of the animals uh like their their care person is in the ambulance and the dog is running behind the ambulance because they know that their master is in that ambulance and then this ambulance happened to stop for some reason and they open the door and let the dog in because and then another instance where you were there was a the dog was at the funeral and they were lowering the casket into the ground. The dog went up to the ground and they were trying to hold the dog back and they let the dog just lay there on the cast. He just laid there. And as they would walk the dog, he would go to that site where the, it was buried and covered over and he would just sit there. And it's so heart wrenching how animals just have that sense of, of knowing, you know, they have that yeah. sense of knowing, but when you're dealing with people and animals, it's such a need for something like that because when something happens to our pets, you know, we need emergency response and to have an ambulance to come pick them up. Cause a lot of times you have to bring them and time you get them there, things are more, you're more nervous and you're like, okay, this is what's going on and it takes time and things like that. And so that is, I think, uh, something that is so needed. You know, you, 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 we give you stars and stripes for that, you know, because that I know, and I would love for you to have a book on that because I know the stories that are out there, that things that you've seen over the years, you know, working with things like that. One of the things I want to talk about is I know that you work with her, um, uh, Katrina, you know, with some of the animals. Tell us about that experience with the Animals Response um, company that you had. That was very interesting. We actually had, at that point, it was three units, right? We took three units down here. We actually got a call. Um, an organization that was in the Bay Area got a call and said they needed help. An organization said, would you guys be interested, willing to go and send some units on Hurricane Katrina? And I'm like, Hurricane Katrina? And it already mm-hmm. passed. I think it was like three or four days by that time. And it's, everything is in the shambles on there. Wow. And I was like, okay, you know, and at first my humanitarian side is yes. But then my business mm-hmm. side was like, how much does that go cost? And wow. they were like, well, look, we've got a lot of funds, you guys. Mm-hmm. And so they funded the thing we had Three ambulances, two emergency units, and a critical care unit. Mm. So we went down, and the interesting thing was, as we're traveling from California yeah. to um, New, the Hurricane Katrina, and Louisiana, yeah. it was New Orleans, Louisiana, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. Oh, my God. As we're going there, we're literally, and I, that, I'm, I should probably, we got there, I was probably like, probably partially deaf, because oh going there, it was, a line of probably 12 California patrols, mm. 15 um, fire, car, fire, because all wow. these emergency response came from California, mm. Arizona. It was like so many emergency responders just like going, going, going. Mm. And it's funny because you look, you see American Medical Response, you see this coming, this coming, you see an, Animal Ambulance. What? But <laughs> okay. But it's so funny because when we get there, 
we actually had to stop in, I think it was Arizona. Wow. And we had to stop wow. in the Navajo Nation and pick up wow. veterinary technicians that were specialized in mm. disaster response. And that was really educational for me because I was like, I didn't know. And it said, when you get on here, they have their own rules. The United States government laws stop. Wow. At the, wow. At the thing. So you go in wow. there, we pick up the technicians, we kept going. Mm. And the good thing was, as for every emergency vehicle that was there during that time, gas was free. Mm, mm. So we were to go and we first yes, got there. Wow. Free. You, you just so free. There, mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a thing called, um, what do they call it? It's the veterinary arm of the federal government. Okay. And, uh, uh, not the medical reserve corps. It's a, a special arm. When we okay. got there, they were like, is there any way we can kind of commandeer your critical care ambulance? Because it had, it was modular. It was a big area. It had mm-hmm. the lights and everything. And I was like, and you can put shore power to it. And I said, mm-hmm. okay. So as soon as we got there, within probably about eight hours of getting there, the veterinarians were doing surgeries in our critical care unit. Mm. So we had two emergency units to go. And what we would do is get up at five in the morning. They would brief us. All the people would get in. They had, you know, um, the way it was set up is they had people that would search. And they Mm. have these little, like, imagine a pop-up tent. So you had people that would go into New Orleans, Mm. they would search Mm. for animals, bring them to the pop-up tent where there was a veterinarian, and the veterinarian would basically say, okay, this dog is either good to go to um, the staging ground. I'm trying to think. It was a big fairgrounds they set up as a staging ground. Yeah. Or he needs to go to LSU where he needs to advance for surgery. So basically it was like there was a triage point, and we had an ambulance there. So if he said he needs to go to LSU, the ambulance, where we would then take him to surgery. If Mm. we were just going to the fairgrounds, they would put him in, like, this, like, animal control van. Yeah. Yeah. So they could be reunited with their owners, hopefully, afterwards. Yes. So the funny thing was, though, when we went into New Orleans, we would also have a unit that went into New Orleans and would help with the search um, process. So if there's any animals that were injured, we had uh, technicians right there. And that was, should when I tell you? We had wow. one call that I'll never forget again. Mm. We had a technician and she was very excited and she was really, she wanted to save the world. And I was like, first of all, you know what they say? You can't run off by yourself. We can't be here after dark because there are still people here. Yeah, yeah. Rape, killed, you know, like that. So she goes, oh, she sees a dog and the dog is running and she runs after it. And I'm like, so I go get her, right? <laughs> so she runs into the gate and so two of these technicians we go after there and so the street is flooded so i had to go around the other way by the time i mm. get there they were in the house and we walk in and the dog is barking at the ceiling oh my we're like and so i said it must be food up there right the dog and we're looking at some pictures i said okay the dog lived here yeah so the dog knew, and the ceiling's kind of sagging i figure it's from the yeah. water and so one of the technicians one of the actually the um navajo yeah. like uh let me just see what's up there so he said y'all see him like he got he got like a pole or whatever yeah, and he yeah. started poking it and we thought food was gonna fall down yeah yeah two bodies fell down oh my so what we found out happened was when they were going through doing the mandatory evacuations some people who figured, oh, I rolled this out before, it's no problem. They hid in the crawl spaces of their ceilings. Yeah. So the sheriff department would be like, they would mark it. Nobody's in the house, you know, for FEMA, they're, you know, this gorgeous house has been cleared. Yes. Hurricane so Katrina came on, the flooding came up. When you're in a crawl space in the ceiling, you either are going to come down there and try and swim out. You can't. The people drowned. So as the water receded and the pets, you know, preservation, the pets must have just taken off. But they came back. And so we we called and we said, look, we found two bodies here. When I tell you, it was the closest thing, I guess, to a war zone, a Holocaust, I can imagine. Wow. Because they came with a a dump truck that had bodies over it with the tarp, bodies over it. So these two guys came in, they got the bodies, put on there, tagged the address, put on a tarp, and kept going. And I was like, wow. he said, we've got so many, because you know, the... um." Louisiana, where it's at, they have a very low, um, what is it yeah. like? They can bury people six feet in the ground in yes, California. Yes, yes. Their water table is low. That's why they have mausoleums. Yeah, so yeah. The water came, basically those bodies also floated up. So they had so much to do with not only the people that had been buried for hundreds of years. Wow. They had people that had passed away during the Katrina. So there was massive bodies all over the place. Oh, my. And so one of the things was also we were told if an animal is wet, you can't take it. It's contaminated. It's got to be put down. 
Oh and my! So, you know, yeah, they said the military will put it down, but of course, the veterinarians are like, if the animal's wet, dry it off, right? So we yeah. had got things that we didn't want to just turn it over, and a lot of the soldiers didn't want to just be randomly killing pets either. Wow! So I, but it's weird because we went we went to Bourbon Street. This is one thing I'd never been to Bourbon Street, and I mm -hmm. looked, and there were soldiers from Canada. Oh. There were soldiers from Britain. There were yeah. soldiers from France. All the allies, the United States. Yes, I'm yes. Like, where are the Americans? And somebody was like, Iraq. And I was like, oh. yes. And I was like, oh, my God. And so you look at it. They're just sitting around here, just hanging out. Like, And I'm like, this is already the station, but this is where these guys work. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Every day. So this is nothing to do. They're like being, being shot at. This is great. Mm. But I'm looking at it like, oh, my God. So it was really learning a different culture, seeing yes. that. And then, of course, after that, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. So of course we did that. We were there for about two weeks. And actually, um, one of the guys, one of the people, they had to actually leave to go back to their job. Yeah. And my wife's job blew her down to help us drive back one of the ambulances once it would. Wow. Yeah. So, mm. so my wife, my daughter runs that company now, and we got into media, and yeah, I'm very yeah. stressful sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you a question because. How did you keep it together during that? You know, trauma is a real thing. People have, you know, all types of trauma, you know, that they experience and that literally puts a holographic grip on them where they can't continue. They can't move. Like you said, sociologists, psychologists or whatever, they take their work home with them. How did you and some of the people that you work with manage to maintain sanity during that? Because that was a lot of trauma. People have PTSD after going to war and different other situations. and. And uh, the different types of trauma that you experience, how do you come out of that after a week or two and just live a normal life? Well, that was one of the things they did offer, too. Uh, there were counselors there to kind of talk about it and things like that. And I look at it from the standpoint of, once again, trying to compartmentalize because, yes, yes. yes we love our pets. And then we I've seen mm. the bond where people are willing to die. Wow. You know? their pets and things like that and mm. i go okay and like i say even to this day i still remember those things mm. but being able to use those things and saying how can i learn use this as to make me stronger to make it yeah. a learning yeah. thing yeah. versus to make it something where i can't get over and i can't move past it mm. you know and then of course really understanding the the fragility and mm. the sanctity of life and being yeah. very yeah. cognizant and aware that this is something that is a gift yes. and it's so yes. precious and yes. i think that really can you know, kind of really gives me that perspective of how to treasure every day and make sure, you know, mm -hmm. copy sees the day to make sure that I'm trying to live everything to its fullest each day. Yeah. And be yeah. thankful for today. Mm -hmm. And like I said, if you're thankful for today, tomorrow will be even better. Wow. So just kind of using that kind of mindset. Wow. That's interesting. And, and you're a person that has multiple disciplines, you know, because you've done different things in life and things like that. Um, but you came into the entertainment field, back to photography and videography and and working as an entrepreneur in that area. What was that like of going through all of that experience? Now you're into something different. Like you said, you can overlap those disciplines and, and use them into this particular industry. But what was it like working with some of those greats, you know, Vivica Fox and Louis Gossett Jr. and Mario Van Peoples and Lawrence Hintel Jacobs, I mean, you you went into the deep, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you didn't go in just as a, a PA, of, you know, a production assistant. You had an opportunity to even, you know, be around Les Brown. So going back into filmmaking as an independent filmmaker, what was that like? And was that the, the reason that you bridged onto on, on Stage Plus? Well, it was. We started doing, you know, I came in and started doing photography. I had taken photography in high mm -hmm. school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is back when you had to develop your own film or some photography things. And now things were kind of getting into the digital realm. And I said, okay, this is great. But I noticed that when you're in those circles, everybody around you is also in your circle. So mm. it was one of those things where it's like, hey, I'm looking like, hey, Mark. Hey, Sean. Hey, Scott. We're all competing for the same job, huh? Okay. Wow. You wow. know, and you're like thinking like, man, his work's a little better than mine, but I think I'm better than him. And I was like, this is, you know, I'll go eat, you know. <laughs> so I was still trying to say my wife, you know, still, of course, had her, her day job. And I'm trying to say, OK, how do we do this? But I kept looking like, do I want to be taking pictures of everybody for the rest of my life? Don't want a studio. Is mm -hmm. that what I want? And the passion for just doing photography wasn't there. Yeah. 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 
do something where I could work with creatives. Mm. And I think back in that, we started getting into video. And mm. I said, okay, this is great. And I was actually, the way I think it really got and got kicked off for us, is I used to be vice president of the uh, local chapter, the NAACP. In, uh, okay. County. Okay. okay. And we wanted to have Les Brown as a speaker. Okay. <laughs> So we're like, how do we get in touch with them? So we went on, and I think this is the early days of the internet. And oh, somebody oh, wow. phone number, and they called a publicist, because you couldn't search Google and all that then. No, no, no. Email, you know. <laughs> and so we called, and the publicist said, oh, well, here's his number. Why don't you just call him? Let's call him. Okay. <laughs> and I called him. He said, this is Les. I said, Mr. Brown, hey, uh, uh, this is a, you know. So I said, yeah. well, I'm here with the with the you know I, I was with the uh, executive committee and yeah. we, we put him on a speakerphone because you know it wasn't like yeah. cell phones. We had a yes, speaker. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we're all talking. <laughs> we said we like you to be at our freedom. And he said, well, that's great. My fee is twenty five thousand. Wait, wow. what is that? We had twelve hundred <laughs> in the bank, so Ooh. we didn't get Les Brown, but <laughs> uh -huh. he did talk to us for like forty five minutes. It really inspired us to raise our money for next year. <laughs> 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 After that, and so it's so funny because. All the years, so I'm doing photography, I'm working at, and all these years come, and then we, I see this thing called the Les Brown Experience, where he's coming to yeah. the Bay Area to do this talk, and I said, you know what? I wonder if he got the same number. Mm. So I went back at this point through the papers and everything, and I said, I wonder. And now I got my cell phone. Yeah, yeah. This Les, oh my God! I was like, that man kept his phone. So I was like, hey, Mr. Brown, you remember me? But I didn't, you know. And he said, well, you know what? Why don't you come on and meet me in my hotel? And so for the whole weekend, we hung out with him and his sister. Wow. And his sister. We did wow. pictures. We set up a photo session. Mm -hmm. We did everything. And I was like, we could do more with this. And oh. so that started. And then, of course, we looked at it. And of course, it's at the time, there was a lot of stuff on television. Of course, you know, as the media goes, yeah. portraying us in negative stereotypes. And I said, mm -hmm. if there was a way that we yeah. could, we would. And yeah. God was, you know, I think God was like, really? <laughs> here's a way let's see if you do it and yeah. so that's you know kind of where we started on stage plus bringing the stage to the world and really portraying people of color in a positive light yeah. so that's kind of the thing that that's been our mission and our focus to and mm -hmm. also you see when things a lot of times of children of color don't have the opportunity to see theatrical stage plays or to see things of this because mm -hmm. all they know is what they're being shown on television yes yes but you yes. educate you know when you seem bet more you can do more Right, and so right. that was kind of our mission. And so we started with a small network just on Roku, and then we expanded it, you know, to Apple TV, Android TV, Google yeah. TV, Amazon, all these places now. So now we have two networks. We have a subscription network that's still on Roku, yeah. and we have our free network that's on Roku, Apple, Amazon, Android. We have an oh. app in iOS. So we're growing in that sense. Right, and, uh, right. And it's kind of been the transition, and we just continue to grow from there. Wow. You know, you, you talk about working with creatives and doing something for creatives because you're obviously young at heart to be able to do all this type of stuff and, and have all these visions and things like that of working with people and the disciplines that you have. What is it that that you that just compels you to work with creatives? Because some of them can be divas. Some of them can be very difficult to work with. And, um, you know, you had a niche for working with the in the animal industry with the emergency response things that was kind of tugging at your heart. But what is it about creatives, especially today, because you talked about a time when there wasn't cell phones and we didn't have Google and we didn't have the social media a few years ago. But now when you're talking, when you're dealing with creatives, there's so much that they have available to them. And so what is it that really moves you to want to continue to work with creatives? Because um, they could be some difficult people sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's really tough when you look at the different personalities. And I think at the at the end of the day, mm -hmm. we all want to be seen. And yes, I mean, the yes. success of Instagram, TikTok, yes. um, and things like that, we all just want to be seen and mm -hmm. seen for who we are. And yes. you're absolutely right. I think sometimes we get this kind of false narrative. And I've run into over the years, people going, well, I'm going to get on YouTube and I'm going to get rich. Mm, 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 I know. Mm. And it's like, Okay, you know, but I'm not understanding you know, the monetization mm -hmm. matrix. So they work their, their hearts out to try and do that. And then, of course, YouTube might change this. Or you've heard recently in the past year or so how creators of color have been getting what's called shadow banned. So wow. they'll put something out there and they'll go, you know, um, like hashtag black excellence. Mm. The algorithm goes black. Okay. And then it sort of it pushes it down. So their viewers yeah. don't even know they've released new content and wow. things like that. And I'm always saying the thing is, 
if you're going to someone else's table that you didn't help develop mm. or is not run by people that really are like you and see your message, mm-hmm. don't be upset when they change the narrative mm. and they change the script. Wow. wow. From the beginning. Mm. And I look at it from that standpoint. You're right. People, I think, also are learning. You're right. Some people are, are divas and they're like, I want it this way. But, <laughs> you know, look, just to go back to what my grandmother used to say, a hard head makes for a soft backside. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes I used to say, sometimes you got to bump their head, you know, and you go and they go, oh, my God, it's not working out. And they go, well, I told you that wasn't going to work out. Yeah, you know, but sometimes yeah. you got to go. You know, and see that, but it's tough because there are some people that in this in this industry mm-hmm. are just like it's my way or the highway. This is just yeah. the way I am. Yeah. And then there's some people that which I like to work with that are like, let's build something together. Mm. Now, there's an African proverb which I use like ad nauseum that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But yeah. if you want to go further, go together. Wow. And I think once we really uh, embrace that axiom, we're really going to be stronger because then we'll be able to say. This is where we're going. We're all use. We're all going collectively yes. to this end goal, and we're yes. going to make it because if one of us falls, the other one picks us up, and we keep going. And yes. it was I would say, "Well, it's the man who falls, and there's no one there to pick him up." Mm, you know, wow. I think people really need to embrace that and yes. see that. Excuse me. Yes. So I think that's something that we really as producers on the back end really try to inspire into people and say, "You have a God given talent. Yes, this is what you need to do." And yes. I think. People are starting to see it more, especially when we know I've had one story where a guy had, I think it was like 5,000 subscribers. He said he was making like, you know, four or $5,000 a month. He was mm. living in the Midwest. And then whatever reason, he put out something that violated somebody reporting him said if they weren't comfortable with the content. Oh, for, for some black history thing. Yeah. I think it was somebody shut down his channel. Wow. Wow. But now. He's basing his his mortgage, his payments on this con- this thing, and all of a sudden they just cut off your check. Wow, wow! So I'm always saying, and that's why we work with creators. We partner with them to say we're not, we don't do that. And mm-hmm. then what you're going to build here is going to be for you, and it's going to yeah. be longevity. And I really want to thank you too. When we yeah. talked a while ago, when yeah. you said, "Think generational." Yes. Don't just think about yeah. today about your grandkids, but think about yeah. your grandkids, grandkids, yeah. grandkids. And that yeah. really was like, wow, because building. <laughs> Not just generational, but multi generational wealth is yes. really what now we, my wife and I, have encompassed. Yes. Because you're right, we want to do something where our great great grandchildren go, mm. our grandparents yes. created something so we can live this way. That's true. And you know, you mentioned your grandmother, you mentioned your wife. I know you have, you know, children and grandchildren and things like that. And you mentioned your grandmother that instilled in you a purpose. Um, and I know one of the things you said that she wants you to make this world better than what you found it. Um, how important, we talk about legacy and we talk about you know, our things that we need to build upon. Um, How important is it for you as we talk about legacy to take that to note now to say, okay, this is what I'm doing and I'm going to make it better for the next generation. I love the fact that, as you said, you're working with not only with creators, but working with um, African-Americans, people of color, period, to give them a space, to give them a platform and things like that. So how does that how does that affect how did that affect your life's work? Knowing that your grandmother said you have a purpose, you have to do something, make this world a better place. How did that resonate throughout the years and affect your life's calling of what you're doing today? When I, when she first said that to me, it was kind of like, you know, and I it was I remembered it, mm-hmm. but I didn't really impact me until I understood it. Oh, so okay. It something, okay. I think I was like seven or eight. She's like, make mm-hmm. this world a little a better place than you found it. Wow. Okay. You know, but then of course understanding that, you know, as as I developed and matured, yeah, and I was like, yeah. and they said there's an old saying, when you have the ability to do better, you have the duty to do better. Yeah. And so looking at it from that standpoint, because I think that we as a people have been so marginalized mm. and said, This is what you do. Mm-hmm. And even with what we've been given, we've made phenomenal strides. Wow. So I'm like being able to say, okay, this is what we need to do. And being able to take work with these creatives who have this in phenomenal processes, mm. processes and being able to say, you guys, here's a platform you can build on. Your dreams and the things you want to come to fruition, here it is. As wife mm. had always saying, we've created the table. Come mm. take a seat at it and have a voice. Wow. You know? wow. And I think that's something that when I, when I really started to understand that, that, you know, to make it, I was like, and they always say, if you think you can't change the world, if you think something small can change the world, try being in a dark room with a mosquito. 
and you'd be like, okay, wait a minute, you you all on high alert. So I think that we individually can do our small part and we collectively yeah. can change the world. That's so true because small hinges swings big doors. And that's the key. Just doing our little part can make a big difference and open up um, you know, avenues for other people. And speaking of that, what what advice would you like to give an entrepreneur, uh, a creative that's starting out? They may be an actor, they may be a director, they may be um, you know, a person within the industry as a producer or something. What advice would you like to give them? They're fresh out of college. You know what I'm saying? They have some resources available through social media and some things along those lines to learn some things. But you've been there, done that. You're a veteran in the industry. What would you like to pass on as we talk about generational um, you know, learning and things like that and legacy, what would you like to pass on to the next generation? Like your grandmother passed something on to you to make a difference. And what would you like to pass on? I would say, so if you're out of school, you just got the training. Great. You got the didactic knowledge. Yes. Get the real world knowledge. Because mm-hmm. I remember when I got out of college, I had all these theories, but at the same time, real world applications was totally something different. Wow. Be flexible, wow. Be wow. open. Be mm. willing to be t- taught and never mm. start learning. Um, don't, you know, there's a saying, <clears throat> don't take everything so seriously. Mm. Um, but we stress, mm. we create cortisol. As we know, cortisol can create cancerous cells mm. and things of that nature. They say literally, if you only do it for like, was it 60, 30 to 60 seconds a day, go in the mirror and mm. laugh and smile <laughs> like, even when you don't want to and that kind of thing goes to fake it before you make it yeah. when you do that you treat you create and you release dopamine and mm. number and basically even when you're going through stress your body's going oh we're laughing okay mm-hmm. you'll go stress you'll lower your stress threshold and you'll basically be able to say hey you guys to myself hey, this mm. is going to be okay i remember mm. watching an interview uh, with oprah yeah with, um, a lot of these great thought leaders. Yes. And they, if there's anything you could tell your younger self, what would it be? Mm-hmm. And the one thing that resonated with me was they all said the exact same thing. Everything is going to be okay. Wow. wow. So, you know, like I say, wow. don't take yourself too seriously. Know mm-hmm. that everything's going to be okay. And another thing is write down your vision. We have a vision board and it's very mm-hmm. important. And I, you know, it's so funny because I didn't put that years ago. I used to work as, a, as a, not work as, but I was going through a deacon training and ministerial training and things like that. Yeah. And it says in the Bible, you with people without a vision perish. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have this, like I literally have a book here that I write down what you want to do. Write down where you see yourself. And it doesn't matter how crazy it seems because it's not for you to achieve. God's going to put you in a position to do it. Wow. Wow. You know, so it mm-hmm. says man's reach should always exceed his grasp. Mm-hmm. So I would say, write down where you want to be yeah. in one month, six months, a year. Okay. And yes. it doesn't matter if you think they're not achievable because they shouldn't feel you're achievable because where you are today is mm-hmm. not where you're going to be in a month, in six months. There you go. There you, you know, go. So I would yeah. say that make sure you've got a vision, make mm-hmm. sure you've got a goal yes. and make sure you're doing what you need to do every day to make those steps. But make sure it's not a vision. Tomorrow, I want to make sure I go to the store. <laughs> Mm. You know, tomorrow I want to make sure I'm going to pick up the, you know, in six months <laughs> I want to make sure I'm going to pick up the keys to my new Porsche or my new yeah. house or I'm buying mm. a jet in a year. Yeah. And, people, you know, and once again, one other thing, when you have a goal and you have these dreams, don't share them with anybody. Wow. Or in your circle, mean well, but if mm. that vision is not in them, they mm. can help you achieve it. That yeah. vision is you and you only. And once mm. you achieve it, then you can say, oh, I had this vision, you know, two years ago, three years ago. Um, and one thing I do want to say, a uh, few, probably a few months back, I was telling my wife, I said, you know, I said, I feel like we've been doing all this stuff and we're not where we want to be and everything. And this came to me mm. uh, in a dream. And I said, maybe my mom passed away in November, this past November. Okay. I'm sorry for that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I said, maybe it was her, was God was saying, doctors go to school, MDs go to school for 12 years. All that time, they're training and preparing for where they're going to go next. All the stuff you've been doing is preparing for when to go next. So don't you complain about you're not where you want to be. You mm. are where you need to be, and you're going to be where you need to go. Mm. Just be happy in the process. Happy in the process. And, you know, it just reminds me because as you're talking, I'm thinking God has no problems, just plans. And he has a plan for you and obviously for what you all are doing. Um, you mentioned God. How important is it? as far as faith in what you do and how you do what you do, because integrity is so important nowadays. People, 
You know, we've had presidents that have lied in office and said something happened that didn't happen. We've had people like Madoff that took people's <laughs> money that just went, you know, drove people crazy. Integrity is so important. And a lot of people don't have the God substance in them that they're guided by. How is important is faith to you in what you do and how you do what you do? It's very important. You know, and when I was working in a lot of emergency medicine, it was very easy. And at one point I was really deep in, into organized religion, into the church. And we were, my wife was teaching Sunday school and I was a deacon who was doing all this stuff. And then, of course, working in medicine, you go, you know, those questions, which I've heard over and over again. Yeah. God, why would you let this happen to this person? Mm. This was such a good person. Mm. They did this, everything. They worked mm. with the community, did this. Yeah. Why would yeah. you do that? Mm-hmm. But then I was just told, you know, it's not for us to question. And wow. I had questions. And I yes. was like, well, why? why? Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those mm-hmm. things. And then I would see things in the church where I was like, this ain't lined up with what y'all saying and the thing. So my relationship with God is spiritual so i know i have a direct we have a divine connection one-on-one yes, with yes, that. Yes, so yes. i kind of started going away like okay i might not go to church every sunday mm. i might not be this but i know that my relationship with god has gotten stronger because of the fact that some things have happened mm. and i was oh, that was the only guy because wow. i didn't know i, I couldn't do that wow. and then even now as i'm going you know as i'm going through different obstacles i'm starting to learn more and remember remembering i got to put this in god's hands and wow. now when it does manifest, I go, there we go. Because I mm. knew those guys. So because I couldn't do that myself. So mm. I think it's very important that we need to know. And whether you call them God, call them Allah, yeah. you know, divine yeah. universe, the, yeah. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. whatever that entity is for people yeah. as an individual, just have a connection and know there's a greater purpose mm. and a greater being that's actually helping us along the way. Wow. Wow. That's important. You know. We're talking to on stage plus today, Mr. David himself, Dr. David, we should say, Dr. David Watts, him and his family that has created on stage plus. And he's not only creating a table and a space and a platform, helping people of color to not only have a seat at the table, but also have a voice through this organization It's so important and so key. And we're so excited about collaborating with him uh, on a project. Let's talk a little bit about the project, David, that has uh that is one of the hottest things in Chicago and coming to Miami and coming to North Carolina. And I understand Hawaii as well. <laughs> so what, let's talk a little bit about bodied, bodied and um, what you're doing with that particular project. So we're very um, proud to be partnering with Road to Eternity Media and being able to showcase this platform. And when I, we found out what it was about, really showcasing these women as they build their business and in a positive um, space, we've mm-hmm. seen many times when we've got it's, our program start out showcasing uh, creatives of color yeah. and it degenerates into mm-hmm. fighting, backstabbing, yeah. you know, name calling. Yeah. And then people go, mm, see, I knew it. Yeah. And what we wanted to do is really showcase we can be positive, we yeah. can be productive, we yeah. can glow. You know, they can grow up, they can glow up. Yeah. Yes. kind of things that black women have always been the nurturers and the cornerstone of society, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and of civilization. Yes, and yes. And what they can do collectively. And they can come together without fighting, without doing this. That's right. That's you know, right. and still be entertaining and educating content mm-hmm. for you mm-hmm. to watch and be inspired by. One of yes. the things that we said was we wanted to leave the viewer educated, inspired, and uplifted more than when they came. If you right. took up to the thing and you just the same, or you feel like, oh God, I feel, you should be like, they did it, I can do it too. That's right, that's right. And we want people to be inspired by this. We want people to be inspired. And uh, it's so exciting when you can collaborate with people, when you can have great communication, um, when you can have cooperation. It's so important when you're working together with individuals and things like that, especially in the media uh, industry. It's very important because there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff happening, and you really have to be focused and know what your purpose is. And that's why kudos to your grandmother for giving you that advice for having a purpose, making this world a better place than what you found it. And that's what we're excited about today. You know, David, how can people get in contact with you to get more on Unstage Plus, to be able to sign up, to be able to get information um, about the network and some of the great programming that you have coming on Unstage? Well, you know, we're an open book. You're like, I'm going to take a book, a page out of Les's uh, book and say, my email address is dwatts at onstageplus. 
-hmm. And our website is onstageplus.com. We also have onstageplus.live and our, our app in the iOS and Google Play stores, Onstage Plus. Uh, we are definitely looking to partner with creatives and work with them, you know, from around the world. Uh, mm -hmm. We are a global network. About 70% of our content is seen in the United States. The rest is international from Africa, the UK, um, China, and Australia. So we're really excited to be able to work with creatives, no matter what area you are. We have live theatrical stage plays, concerts, mm -hmm. uh, comedy shows, motivational speakers, and of course, these positive reality shows. So we're really mm -hmm. excited to work with creatives of all ethnicities. So mm -hmm. please contact me and let's collaborate. Let's build something to make this world a better place. Wow. I hope you guys have grabbed a pen and wrote that down because that is exciting. There's a lot of things that's going to be happening. David and his team at Onstage Plus is impacting the world with their gifts and their talent. So you have to know about Onstage Plus because they're doing it like no other. They'll take you to a place where you have never been before. And so I am really excited to know them. This is my brother and uh, his wife is my sister's Wakanda forever. I want to say to her as well out there in, in uh, podcast land. But we're excited, David. We just want to thank you so much for being here, being our special guest. Thank you so much for the impact that you're leaving on the people of color and just everyone. I'm a, I know you'll work with everybody that comes to you, um, no matter who they are. But I thank you for having a heart for your people specifically because they need a hand up a lot of times because a lot of times they're left out and they feel like there's a glass ceiling. And so you're reaching your hand out and giving them a hand up. And that is so key and so important. So we are so grateful for that. Well, friends, we're just about out of time. We want to thank you so much for listening. If you did not hear this entire broadcast today, we want you to visit our website for updates, more information. Please leave a comment. Sign up at www.roadthenumber2eternity.net. And I want you to remember that you are uniquely designed and strategically gifted. Use your gifts to impact the world. Thank you for listening to Gifted with Sheila White. We hope you understand how your gifts can make an impact on the world. Gifted with Sheila White is produced by Road to Eternity, a film and television production company.